the irony is I don't think there's ever been a time where the generation wants the church to be the church as this generation right now is like they actually want the church to be a cause to lead us into the uncomfortable dark places to be a lamb among wolves to go and make a difference even at inconvenience on themselves That was a fun few days we had together, and we were passionate about these experiences at Stay Forth, and we host these. We have the Phoenix fill-up coming up for male pastors in April. We're really excited for that and had an amazing one last year. We also had the ladies, Rocky Mountain Renewal, uh, just a couple months ago, but we work alongside of organizations as well to curate these. And if an organization wants to get away and wants to create both conversation or content and an amazing experience, we do that for you. So if you're interested in that, you can head on over to stayforth.com backslash go forth. So this experience was awesome. And I got to interview Grant live. And so on this podcast, David and I come from the perspective of we are millennials. So that's a really interesting place that puts David and I in. Often there's kind of some negative connotation on that. So David, my fearless co-host, what are some of the implications you think that people tend to pin on millennials today? In short, it seems like the primary perspective is millennials are the worst, which obviously I'm joking, but There's this stigma around this whole generation and you see articles that are, you know, complaining about millennials, their entitlement, their, um, they're ruining certain industries and things like that. If you do a quick Google search, if you pause this podcast and do a quick Google search, there's all sorts of, you know, endless articles on, um, millennials. And, And here's the thing, what I love about Grant is he is, you know, staying away from the stereotypes and staying away from, you know, some of these things, these kind of generational wars. And he is calling um, us as millennials to be discipled and to be disciple makers, giving us a purpose. And one thing about our generation is we are purpose heavy. We care about purpose. We want the things that we do to have value and meaning. Um, And that's, you know, differentiation a little bit between millennials and what he's trying to do is draw on that uh, purpose-heavy perspective that we have and giving us the purpose of making disciples of the next generation. And so I love that, that he's calling us to um, this higher this higher calling that, that Jesus has called all of us to, you know, thousands of years ago. So I love that perspective. Yeah. Instead of poking fun, what if people discipled millennials? And even as I pull up a Google search, it's why are millennials so anxious, sensitive, stressed, poor, awkward, tired? I mean, not good things. And mm-hmm. you and I, David, take this call to discipleship very seriously. We want to lead well. We get to lead people who many times are much older than us. We get invited into rooms and spaces. And so I've always felt so passionate about this message. And I'm so glad that Grant wrote this book, The Passion Generation. He talks about purpose and provision and passion and how those fit together and how those have actually been flip-flopped. Past generations maybe thought about provision first and then hope to find passion later in retirement. Millennials are saying, how do we actually live a life on purpose? So I absolutely love this interview. So without further ado, here is an interview with Grant Skeldon about millennials, discipleship, and some of the things that we've gotten wrong about this generation. Well, I'm really excited for this episode of the podcast. We're actually live at 
I don't know, 10,000 feet. Yes. And I'm with Grant Skeldon and actually just got down from a mountain. This guy is a champ coming from the <laughs> flatlands and heading up a mountain today. We're back and uh, we've been away at an immersion in the mountains. And I'm excited to talk discipleship, millennials, the next generation. So, Grant, thanks for being with us on the podcast. Absolutely, absolutely. So, man, I loved your book, The Passion Generation. I want to dig into that. But first, how did you get here to this spot where you're speaking about discipleship, you're calling your own generation, and even Gen Z behind your generation into more authentic relationship with each other and with God? I mean, as shared in the book, a big part uh, I do think is that I got saved the first time I went to church because I wanted to go. It was after a huge breakup and then got discipled two weeks later. And so I say that to say I've been talking about discipleship and the importance of discipleship for maybe eight to nine years. But then I started talking about millennials for about six years. Um, And what I noticed in those three years before the whole millennial conversation was that if I talked to, to churches or emphasize discipleship the churches that were like yeah we want to hear more about that or let's do a training or a seminar or workshop or have you come share um the churches that did tend to do that which were few were the churches that already were highly involved and engaged and um, excited about discipleship however what shifted was i one day i got asked um i was in the right time in the right season i got asked to be on a millennial panel at a big conference in dallas and uh part of it was because there was a millennial panel on millennials but there weren't any millennials on the actual panel. And so two days before the conference, I got asked, hey, would you be interested in sharing? I'm like, sure, absolutely. And so um, all that to say, it was a crazy story of where I was going to try to be very convicting and call out the older generation. And God convicted me actually to be kinder. And that uh, the verse that came to mind was um, uh, kindness leads to repentance, not not like trying to stick it to them for the lack of discipleship. And what happened was I got so many speaking opportunities from that. And what I realized in starting to speak a lot on the next generation is I'd get asked all the time, how do we reach millennials? How do we uh, get them to come to church? How do we engage them? How do we retain them in the workplace because they're job hopping? And what I realized is I'd usually go back to discipleship. Um, The best young leaders I know were discipled. The best young leaders that are gifted, mature, humble, tend to have either really godly parents that were highly engaged in their life spiritually and emotionally or more often than not it's someone older a mentor i mean even me and you we we share a guy that is just a believer in people eric swanson and so uh it was kind of funny was because i was like dang if i use millennials as my marketing shtick if you will people care way more about discipleship like if i say just let's talk about discipleship less people will read it. But if I write a book on how to reach millennials and then say discipleship is the best way to do it, then all of a sudden people are like, okay, if that's what we got to do, then let's do it. Sure. It, I mean, it's almost like you've gone in the back door mm-hmm. to have that same house living room conversation that we need to be having. Yeah. But there's fear there, right? It's charged. There's people that are concerned and you're saying, let's talk about this honestly, which I appreciate. I appreciate your posture. Mm-hmm. You're honest, but you're also honoring. And that's a hard thing to to walk and I don't see that many people who are positioned like you'd have that conversation. So, and talk to me a little bit about some of the specific ways you're sort of pulling out the greatness. You have so many amazing leaders that you are both pouring into and kind of pulling out of. What are, what are some of the ways that you do that among millennials? Uh, I think maybe one of the best things you can do is truly have a kingdom mindset. And 
I would even say so far away as much as you can be. And it takes time to get away from a credit type of mindset of like, if you really want to help people and leaders succeed, even when that means you don't succeed, then what leader wouldn't want to have that kind of friend? Um, and I, I think growing up in a very racially diverse uh, upbringing and then going to church where it wasn't that diverse gave me this heart for seeing unity among uh, ethnicities. And then later seeing how I got a really unique story by getting discipled so quickly after salvation and he sought after me, I didn't seek after him, uh, realized, man, I had also not just racial unity on my heart, but generational benefits from this older man pouring into me. Um, and so all that to say is, I think what I found is for these, I get to the privilege of being around very, very high caliber young leaders. And what I try to do is have a posture of, dude, I really do want you to succeed because there's not enough of us to go around. Like there, by and large, the next generation is leaving the church and leaving the faith. And so that we don't have the luxury to be divided or to struggle with comparison. That's we need right. to connect each other. We need to celebrate each other. Like it, and it takes time. It's like, it needs to get to the point where if you're winning, I feel like I'm winning. Um, and so I, I once heard David Platt say this quote that's always really convicted me where he said, um, we all want to raise Jesus's name higher um, and we all want to elevate his name. But secretly in our hearts, some of us and many of us struggle with wanting our name to raise with Jesus's name as we're raising his name. So uh, I thought, man, that is so true. Is like, I want to do these things for God's glory but I do kind of hope that I'll get a little bit of glory as well. And what I realized is if we can be okay with, which is so hard, whereas like, what if I raise God's name and I get no credit and no one even knows I did it? Um, and even harder is what if someone else that does the same thing as me gets more credit than I do? Um, can I be okay with it as long as God's name is raised? And, and I think that's been a wrestle over time. But as I've gotten more and more to that posture, it actually is so freeing. And again, then you really don't struggle with the comparison or competition. You're just like, you get to celebrate a lot because God's doing a lot in the next generation among all these different leaders. And it seems like an incredibly collaborative, both generation and Gen Z coming yeah. up that understands, like you say, that you know we're not a majority any longer. Yeah, The Christian faith is not looked on as mm -hmm. you know even the people you want to have as neighbors or around you. You say this... Um, within the book that Christians are viewed as boring. So probably not a surprise <laughs> to us. But then you say, actually, you think that Christians are bored. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Why do you think Christians are bored? And what are the consequences of that boredom? Uh, yeah, I, I think most Christians, if they're honest with themselves, I even think pastors, I'm starting to find more honest pastors are like, I'm actually bored. Like, Don't be a being, bored or boring pastor. It, well, if you, of course, are going to be boring if you're even bored. Like... One of my questions is to a pastor, if you have to, do you feel like you have to manufacture energy to get people to go to what you're doing? Mm. And do you have to manufacture energy to even really put it on yourself? Like I want, I heard you say today, uh, I love Henry Black with these quote of like, just go where God's already moving. And it's not every Sunday that, that we got to hype it up. Like my thing for my staff is if we ever feel like all we are now, you can't, ever get around doing some of this but if all we are are event planners and party promoters i just am not in it for that like no one went to seminary for that no one felt called to ministry for that like everyone that's listening and everyone that goes into ministry wants lost people to come to christ 
But then we get into ministry and it's like becomes this, you're really, really going to make it if you're really good at speaking, you're really good at event planning, or you're really good with people. And I just think we don't really always look at disciple making. And that's where um, I've tried to focus a lot more of our time. I love it. And you can't argue with that, man. Make the commission great again. Yeah. 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 And you're going to be totally bored if you don't. Like, I think I say in the book, I think dancers that don't dance probably would be very bored. I think people, chefs that don't cook are probably bored. Um, Singers that don't sing, sing probably get really bored. Anyone that has a gift and they know it and they were designed for it and don't do it probably get very bored. And I think we have a church full of disciple makers that don't disciple and they are unbelievably bored um, or bored again believers. Yeah, bored again believers. I yeah. love that. Um, but it also is haunting, you know, when you say that how many leaders are um, boring, but maybe because they are bored. And I think that's a, that's a challenge. Interesting co- that we're having this conversation, um, two millennials. Uh, David, my co-host, is a millennial as well. And so we are having conversations around this a lot. And many times we're the youngest guys in the room. Mm-hmm. And that's just an interesting space sometimes to, to be in. So not that you are an expert on everything millennial, but what are millennials looking for? Um, I would say definitely cause-oriented. There's a lot of negative things about millennials. Some of them, maybe most of them even warranted. There are misconceptions about some of them, but uh, I do think the good thing we all can agree on is that they have a propensity towards causes. And so I do feel like they want a cause to fight for. And I would also say they want a community to belong to. Two things that I think the church has always been marked by. And if you look at Acts 2 or Acts 4, that's a very cause-oriented community that God uh, built. And so that's why I often, I mean, one of the big questions I keep asking, I ask in the book and ask usually when I speak is how is the most cause oriented generation in the world right now, not connecting to the most cause oriented organization in the world right now, the church, because I'm a nonprofit leader, but I realize the power and authority and anointing and promise that God gave to the church that he did not give to a, a parachurch, not to say that parachurches are bad. I think they complement and supplement so many ways. Um, but I was asked like if, if Initiative Network, my ministry, was gone in 20 years and someone told me for sure it will be, or even 10, I wouldn't be shocked. I would be like, oh, that stinks. Like, I wish I thought it could last for 100 years, 200 years. But if they told me a church was going to be gone in 10 years, 20 years, 100 years, I don't care if it's 1,000 years. If Jesus has not come back, the church will never die. It's just a promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so to me, it's like, why, and why have we gotten to a place with the most powerful cause in the world the gospel moving through the people of god the church is not attractive to the next generation that wants a cause and i would say again if we make church event centric like we say church has not come it's not a building it's not an event it's not a time however i feel like our main call to action is always come back next week you don't want to miss it we got this great series we're starting next week we don't say this, but we say next week in this building at this time at this event. And so we say it's not an event, but we really treat it like an event. And our main call to action is come back to this event. At best, bring as many people as possible to this event. Is that our, yeah, is that our biggest ask and only ask is come on back next week versus be sent out to the life you're designed for? I mean, and think about different voices talking to the next generation. You got Gary V, who's like, yeah, you want to you want to quit college? Your parents don't care or don't like don't want you to. Screw it, just do it. You you got time. He's like, go go build a business. Like work hard. Go do this. Like you got the time to do it. Go and change. Like if you see some a need, go and create the product or the business to do it. 
And they're like, young people are flocking to this idea of like, it's not just, hey, come every week and listen to me. It's like, come and do this. And if you want, you can listen to what I'm doing and I'll give you tips. Or nonprofits are like, hey, you're comfortable and you might be good, but there's people in this country or people in your own uh, city that are hurting and need, they're being trafficked right now or, or they don't have any clean water or whatever. And young people, again, they're flocking to whether it's entrepreneurial or cause oriented or whatever uh, activity. And the idea of like, I heard a church planner just do a video and he was promoting his new church and he was saying, and I know his intention is good, but the slogan at the very end is, and we have a seat for you. And I hated it so bad. I'm like, how dare you turn the church call to action into, we have a seat for you for real. Like, can you imagine Jesus coming back in the great commission and being like, and I have a seat for you. Like his literal opposite is like, get off your seat and go do something. The irony is, I don't think there's ever been a time where the generation wants the church to be the church as this generation right now is like, they actually want the church to be a cause to lead us into the uncomfortable dark places, to be a lamb among wolves, to go and make a difference, even at inconvenience on themselves. And so the idea of saying the church is not an event or it's not a building, I just keep seeing like, why is church mostly two people doing two things for about two hours? And that's what we consider church. Like even if I ask, hey, how was church last week? They'll say, oh, the message was great or worship was great. That's two people doing two things for two hours. 99% of the church didn't do, that's not, I don't know. I think you, you, I mean, you and your audience get it is, it really bothers me is like, we know that, but we're losing this generation by the droves because of this narrow view of what church is. Yeah, narrow view, but you, you also talk about not asking enough. Like yeah. that other people, the Gary V's of the world are raising the bar and saying, sure, go for it now. And um, Brad Lominick was on the podcast and, and he talked about even that tension between it used to be that, you know, hey, hang around 10, 15, 20 years and we'll let you do something great. Mm -hmm. Now the unbelievable amount of social media followers and of course the pressure that comes with that, but the ability to have influence at such yeah. an early age is this tension. And, yeah. and I hear this call for wisdom and discipleship. You use this analogy of this old dog and then this puppy yeah. comes along, the old dog sort of dying and doesn't you know have much life and is lethargic. And then this puppy sort of revs um, the older dog up and they become buddies. Yeah. And so you're yeah. calling for the older generation and we're open to whatever your definition of old is as you're listening, but the older generation to get in there and say it brings life to both. Talk yeah. a little bit about those mentoring relationships and why that's so crucial for both sides. It's, I mean, there's a book, um, I forget the author's name right now, but it's like a huge book called Hero with a Thousand Faces. Have you ever heard of this book? Yep. It's a huge book in, for screenwriters and for authors of story or uh, fiction um, because it's like uh, basically this principle. If, once I read it, I was like, man, I never realized how like, yeah, every big franchise movie has this concept or tends to of, there's this young person that has a dream or has a passion or has a gift, but something about them doesn't allow them to attain it. And internal pressure and external pressure. Yeah. They have to hit crisis on the outside. Yeah, and it's, yeah right? And it's Frodo in the movie. Or, it's Frodo. Yeah. It's yep. Luke Skywalker. It's, I mean, it's so many movies. Karate where, Kid. Yeah, Karate know. Kid. And they, they then, it says the next stage is a sage comes in and this like older wiser person comes in and shows them the way it's gandalf dumbledore it's uh 
<laughs> who is who came in for Obi Wan Kenobi? Is that who came yeah. in for Luke Skywalker? <laughs> yeah, obviously Grant and I haven't been <laughs> watching our movies recently. Yeah. Yes, that's the story arc, like in every great movie. Yeah, if millennials are watching this Dragon Ball Z and that older man with like the turtle show on his back comes in and guides them, there's like it's the ch- it's the trajectory shifting piece is when that older leader comes into the story and guides them and shows them the way and uh, and it's. An unbelievable story for both parties because the older leader gets to see that person go from they have a spark and they have something in they have the x factor but maybe it's pride that's holding them back maybe it's just they don't know how to channel it um and then i mean think of almost every marvel movie like this is so big every disney movie this is so big i mean disney was highly influenced by this concept and you'll see it in a lot of their movies it's moana and maui like it it's just in everything but all that to say is uh, then the older leader gets to see that person surpass them and really come to this crescendo of knowing that you got them from a loose cannon, I would say like Peter, to leading and preaching and thousands are getting saved. Like That should be a moment that we really, really want to have. Not just, I want to be in front of thousands and speak and preach and elevate God's name, but like I want to be able to say, I raised up 5, 10, 20, 100 leaders that can do that also i think that's a true sign of a great leader however old we are there's somebody younger than us we need to raise up i don't care how old or young and that is to my own kids as well and to pull that greatness out of them and i see destiny and legacy like we're both built for that and the young are so built for destiny of who am i going to be someday Mm -hmm. we actually get to shape people to help become who god's designed to be like what a crazy and amazing responsibility that is and i love how you're calling both generations that also calling the younger generation to to look for that and for honor yeah and another benefit actually i didn't put in the book but i I realize now is um a benefit for the older generation when we make the priority discipleship is uh sometimes like pastors get older and they feel like okay now i'm less relevant i can't connect as much to the next generation i know i don't relate to them as much i don't know their culture um and if we make it based off of speaking and then one, that limits who can do that. Only few people are called to speak and teach. Um, but if we make it off disciple making, 100% of the church can do that. That's right. Um, and two, I, if I was older, I would be a little concerned of like, man, can we stop talking about millennials all the time? And now Gen Z, like we built this church. We fund, st- not that we just funded it. We still fund it. And we we are the ones that are leading it right now and creating what it is. Um, and we're talking so much about how we basically stop making it for us and also just make it for these guys. And um, I think that if we make church worship and preaching and building, then yeah, it's going to be, we got to make this building cooler for the next generation. We got to get a pastor that knows how to relate and really he looks the part and he connects and he knows how to preach to them cool in ways that they like. We got to get a better worship band with way new worship songs and it all becomes like Don't changing skinny those jeans, things. Man, yeah, we got to get skinny jeans. Get Everyone skinnies. loves those. But if we make it about discipleship, no one ever becomes obsolete. And in fact, it's never then, oh, we just got to reach the next generation. It's like, no, actually, in some ways, young people are kind of easy to attract. They're very transient. Older generations, they stay loyal longer than next gen. And so, as you'll see in church plants, it's most church planters are like, yeah, we got a lot of young people. We're trying to get some gray hair people here. Um, and so, with that being said, whether you're, you're in your 40s, you're in your 50s, you retired and your kids have moved out, or 
your your wife or husband has passed away and you're now like uh, a widow or I mean you've you don't you're just pouring into people and you're always going to have whatever age they are they're 10 years a couple steps ahead and they can speak into what is it like once your kids move in go into college and you're empty nester what is it like and they can disciple those and say like what is it like when uh, your kids are walking away from the Lord and they have their own kids and you want to make sure your grandkids get raised well or what is it like yeah when your husband or your wife passes away is like there's there's no one becomes obsolete because they're older they actually become somewhat more rare and more important uh, and it's like we don't know what that looks like me as a 29 year old I don't know what that's going to look like and so I think discipleship elevates and validates everyone in the church more rather than making it we just got to make it cooler when it comes to worship preaching and building for the next generation because that's always going to change every 10 years yeah everybody gets to play yeah everybody is designed to do that if you're a follower of Jesus uh, we we're talking today one of the big risks that you're taking is to really lean into experiences you get mm-hmm. high capacity young leaders together why is that so important to you and what's some of the fruit that's coming out of those experiences why is it important to me uh so yeah i get a lot of high caliber young christian leaders to do retreats together partly is uh they're very racially diverse they're very denominationally diverse they're very occupationally diverse um I think why it's important is because there's been a big shift towards unity in the church. Um, Part of that is because of um, just so many people leaving the church. So it's like making us, the more you become a minority, the more you want to work with others that look like you or live like you or are like you. It's when you're the majority that you're less likely to think about collaboration. You don't don't have to collaborate, right? Yeah. And so being a minority or being persecuted, just like in the early church, actually somewhat helps. Um, builds bonds um i mean yeah two uh there's been a lot of division in the church when it comes to racial tension in our country the last five years not that it's new it's just definitely media is putting it on the forefront and that therefore puts it in the forefront of younger generations mind and saying is my church diverse is my church serious about this does my church even talk about this um and so uh with all that with all the division uh, one of the things we say often is a divided nation needs a united church especially among the next generation and so for me the best way to build a united church is not a conference it's not a panel those things can help raise awareness they'll create a moment but to me it's relationships um one of the things we did in your exercise today was um I was talking, there was this Yiddish proverb, um, I guess. I heard it from a guy who said it's a Yiddish proverb. I don't know any other Sounds Yiddish. Sounds smart, man. Just I don't quote, know any other Yiddish proverbs. Just quote Yiddish stuff. Yeah, I've heard Chinese proverbs and African proverbs, but this is my only Yiddish proverb. Come on, it's, drop it on us. It's, uh, they say 100 pounds of salt was what I had heard. Um, and basically the idea of you don't have a true bond until you've, you've ate, eaten enough meals that that require a hundred pounds of salt wow I love and I, I really like that 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 proverb of like just a, yeah a hundred pounds of salt and so for me that's i want to build those type of relationships where it's like yeah we did a panel together but i still don't know you that well i'm not you don't know my family you don't even know my spouse or, or you don't know where i live like i want you to we've had a hundred pounds of salt together whether it's out in the mountains of colorado whether it's in another country or whether it's just at my home several times in your home several times is I'm just trying to build relationship through experiences. Um, my best friend got married this weekend, and he's now trying to build a relationship stronger with his now wife. I can guarantee you, if I gave him the option, hey, do you want to do a panel to build a reconciliation with your wife, or do you want to go on a 
a retreat or a resort or do you want to go to another country? For whatever reason, I've never seen the marriage that says, now let's go do a panel to build our relationship. <laughs> That'd be I've weird. Seen a lot. It is weird. But that's what we do to build we, relationships. And we think more information is actually going to transform yeah, us. We think like, oh, it's... Yeah. And we've talked about this and even over the last few days that we are overwhelmed with information and we are hungry for encounters. Yeah. And many times we find ourselves information rich and experience poor mm-hmm. or information rich and relationship poor. And I just, I love that we're going after that. I'm hearing more and more mastermind gatherings, cohorts, smaller opportunities yeah. for people to get away and go deeper. And I absolutely love doing that. And both of us are giving a lot of our time and energy toward that because we see transformational fruit happens, connections yeah. happen. Um, man, so much we could talk about, but this quote wrecked me. John Mott, in your book, The Passion Generation, you quote him as saying, the number one obstacle to evangelization is Christian parents. Why is this? <laughs> Being a Christian parent, that haunts me. So why yeah. is this? Uh, and I wish I could hear his perspective now because that is, was a man in the 1890s that said that. Um, and he, just to give uh, some reference to who he is, he was a big part of the student mobilization movement. Um, he mobilized thousands of college kids to uh, after college or even instead of college to go and be a missionary in the mission field whether it's long-term or short-term, um, mobilized thousands. He literally won a Nobel Peace Prize. Um, wow. So it's a big deal what he did. Uh, he wrote a book called uh, World Evangelization in the Next Generation. Or in, yeah, in the Next Generation. And uh, yeah, and he said, yeah, the number one obstacle to world evangelization is Christian parents. And I can only conclude, yeah, it's because his experience was he was getting young people that were on fire and wanting to leave their comfortable life or their secure life to go, I would say, be a light on a hill, to be a light in darkness, to be a lamb among wolves, to take the commission seriously. And the second party they had to, he had to talk to probably was parents that were like, can we pray about that first? Sure. <laughs> can we make sure God wants them to do that? The irony I always say is like, we're going to pray about if God wants us to go and make disciples. Like that's that's just kind of like already there in the Bible. And, and I, I get it that you got to be wise and you got to, do all this, but I just, I say a lot when I speak to parents is I don't see a lot of parents that usually if I meet a Christian um, kid, that's like, if they were to say hypothetically to their parents, I want to be a banker, a lawyer, a doctor, an architect, any of those type of jobs, usually their parents are like, oh, I love that. That's great. Cause they know that job makes good money. It's provides a secure lifestyle, great reputation, very respected. Um, but if that person that's going to kid going to college for being a, a lawyer, a doctor, uh, architect, any high capacity, high, well-paid person says, mom, dad, I'm actually going to drop out of school because I really want to be a missionary or I want to be a worship leader or I want to be a pastor. Or, I want to be an entrepreneur with like a business's mission as the forefront. Um, all of a sudden it's like, hey, let's pray about that. Let's just make sure God's calling. And I, was, and I always joke, I was like, do you think the devil is trying to get your kid to be a worship leader? Or you think the devil, Satan, is scheming to get these kids to be missionaries? Like, let's go. It's just, why would that be the enemy? What are we praying about? And and why don't you pray as hard when when it's an architect or a lawyer? And and most young people have felt that tension of my kid, my parents care more about provision than they care about God's passion and God's purpose. Um, and it's not that we don't care about those things. It's just this whole like American dream mixed with being a Christian that we are, I just don't know how we think 
we're supposed to carry our cross and live a comfortable Christian life. Or we're supposed to be a lamb among wolves that live very comfortable Christian lives. And so, um, man, there's a reason why guys like Bob Goff, and he, I, I got an interview him once, and I was like, it was all in front of hundreds of young people. And I said, man, I feel like if you ask this room, if we could say that you were like our dad, I think we'd all wish you were kind of like our dad. We, this next generation, you're like almost 60. This generation loves you. It's like your biggest market is next gen. And the whole room was like, absolutely. Like they were like, heck yeah, we would Be take you dad. as your dad. Yeah, exactly. Can you adopt Seriously, us? they would. The next generation loves him. And it's not because he is incredible. He's, his faith is incredible that he doesn't see his life as for himself he sees everything god's given him as a means to go and reach others and to love others well like his book is called love does and we don't just talk about it think about it memorize it we do it and and the next generation absolutely loves him and would want to follow this guy as he follows christ and so i just think this idea of american dream is straight up at odds with the great commission and this generation actually wants the Great Commission more than they want the American dream. Well, keep it up, man. I know that's a it's a needed voice and, and a prophetic voice, even from the angle that you bring it from. Um, you tell some amazing stories in the book of parents having their mindset shifted as you get to speak. You get to kind of speak into a, sp- a parent's life and perspective. Yeah. What would you say to a parent of a millennial who's listening to this and doesn't know how to support their kid? Yeah. Give them a couple practical next steps. How do you support your kid if they want to take their next step, if they want to take a risk, if they want to go out there, if they want to um, make disciples in a way that looks different than that? How can a parent of a millennial lean in and support their kids instead of ostracizing them? Yeah, um, I would say uh, be vulnerable is really big. Uh, uh, it always helps in a way that's not whining or fear. Like, I would almost say as much as you can try to, and this sometimes some personalities struggle with fear more than others or control, but like really try to, if we serve a God who's in control and knows the future and has made promises to us and our future, then why do I don't, I feel like sometimes the most fear driven people are American Christian parents and grandparents. They're like so worried about the future of America and where the, everything's going i'm like dude is god in control or not because like it makes us feel like yo why would i why would i be a christian if it means i got to be so scared of the future Hmm. um how does that even make sense when yeah it just doesn't make sense and so i think uh really like taking that to god is like god do i trust you and i'm i'm sure i can't even imagine i'm sure it's hard to trust him with your kid but like He's, he cares more than they care. He loves better than they love. He can say things in a way that is received that I, I've seen in my own life, like trying to talk to people I love. And I've noticed when I pray and God talks to them in the way that they, God knows they need to receive it, it, it does more than when I do it with my best tactics. And so um, the other thing I would say is in the book, I mean, chapter three is the book that connects the most with parents and with next gen. I, I saw a pastor last week and he said, um, he said, your book on that, that chapter, like saved my relationship with my daughter. And he said, I had so much, like, there was just so much fighting because she wanted to do this. I wanted to do this. I didn't know how to, I want to support her. I don't know what that looks like. And it really talks about how do you not, cause I would say there's, there's this tension between passion, purpose, and provision. Next generation cares a lot more about passion 
and purpose. The older generations have somewhat cared more about provision. Um, this generation coming up cares less about making money and cares more about making a difference. So they're not motivated by money as much. Not not a, that they're not motivated at all, just as much. And what I would say is it's not at odds. It's just changing the order. Is how do you coach your kids or question, help narrow your kid's passion and purpose and then lead to questions of provision like what college do you need to go to how much work do you need to do what mentors do you need to find what books do you need to read what uh, bad habits do you need to cut what habits do you need to form i'm way more willing to listen to you force those things like on me because it won't now feel like you're forcing them it'll feel like wow you've helped me figure out my passion you've guided me in figuring out my purpose and now you're showing me what i requires to get there and I'm so willing to cut this habit or start this habit or seek out these mentors or go to this college because this is what my purpose is and this is what my passion is. Rather than, hey, go into this college. It's like um, Dead Poet Society is what I use in the book is that guy, that's father who's trying to love his kid well and is in his language, which is provision, but his kid wants to do his passion and he has to go around his dad's back in order to do that. And I think a lot of young people are doing that today is... They're cutting their parents out of the equation and the guidance of their future because their parents seem to only care about provision. And so really um, remind, remembering that uh, it, we gain the whole world and lose our soul, that is not worth it according to the Bible. And God does care about our passion, our purpose. It doesn't mean that we don't care about provision. It just means start with passion, lead to purpose, and then show them how to get there through provision. Yeah, I thought that was really helpful chapter. And if you're listening to this and you're a parent, doesn't matter how old your kids are. Um, I recommend this book. I've given this away, um, gave it away uh, to the folks that are with us for these few days, because I think it's so key. And and it isn't what you think. It isn't just a book about, um, here's an understand an understanding guide to millennials. It really does get to disciple making. Mm-hmm. Last question we always ask, get a little up close and personal. Grant, how do you stay healthy as a leader? You, you have a lot going on. You travel, you speak, you lead initiative network. How do you stay healthy as a leader? Uh, the three things that come to mind right now is uh, I do have a, a mentor that I meet with regularly. It's actually a couple mentor because I am dating a girl. And so her the wife mentors her, the husband mentors me, and we regularly meet with them as a couple. Um, and that's been very helpful. The second one is I kind of formed my own Bible study where we just go through the Word. It's never any teaching. It's just here... We actually pick 10 verses and we read it in four different translations. The other thing that I do that's pretty current of this year, but especially I would be honest, would say probably the last two months is I am trying to figure out what a very healthy, solid Sabbath looks like for me. Um, I do think that's... (laughs) uh, Pastor Robert Morris of Gateway, he just uses an analogy of like, it's one of the Ten Commandments, but we don't ever treat it like a Ten Commandment. And... He was talking about how Mondays is when he takes off and some pastors were saying, hey, uh, can you come back into work to do some of this? We need you, we really need you, this and that. And he, he joked, he's like, yeah, why don't, before I get there, why don't we go rob a bank and I can cheat on my wife and uh, maybe we can kill someone too. And they're like, okay. Well, and he's see like, you Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, well, yeah, you would never ask me to break any of the other Ten Commandments, but you're totally okay with me breaking that one. And I was like, that is, that is a good perspective. I never thought of it that way. And so I've been doing a lot better, like taking the time off. And now what I want to really grow in is what is the things I want to do with that time? Uh, Because it's not God forcing it on me. It's God trying to 
give me time to grow in my relationship with him and grow just that healthier so that, uh, yeah, that I can do what God's called me to do. And so uh, I don't know if I've used the time to the best of my ability where I can figure out what are the rhythms for me that create my a deeper relationship with God and a healthier uh, just position in life, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Awesome. Love it, man. We'll keep up the good work. It's been fun hanging out with you the last few days, just the last few months, even getting to see yeah. your ministry, read your book, keep up the good work. And uh, man, we got a seven course dinner to eat. So, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a good way to end a podcast right there. We're yes, just sir. getting started. Grant, thanks for coming by the podcast. Thank you, Alan. Well, guys, so many takeaways from that right there. I'm passionate about discipleship. I am passionate about millennials being seen in a different light. Go ahead and pick up Grant's book, The Passion Generation. I loved it. I marked it up and have loved talking about some things, even scheming about some ways that we in our local communities can be better at raising up the next generation, discipling millennials so that they can disciple Gen Z. David, I love, love, love leading this podcast with you. We're getting close to the end of the year. It's been an amazing year, but man, I'm pumped for 2020. We got some news coming up here in the next few weeks. We'll be sharing with you about the podcast. It's going to be, I think, an even better year in 2020 for the podcast than it was in 2019. I agree totally. So thank you for listening. So many of you have been listening with us since the very beginning, and we're so thankful Uh, that you're just engaging with us in so many different ways. And so as always, um, feel free to subscribe. You'll get alerted to every episode that comes into your uh, podcast feed on iTunes. Do that with Spotify, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, all the different platforms that we're on. And uh, please, if you've enjoyed this, give us a rating or review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to. But we're thankful for you. And uh, we're going to continue to bring you conversations centered around health and impact. And so we'll see you in the next episode. So long.